Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in Her Space. So where we feel we know that we are being seen, that we are being heard, that creates safety. And when you feel safe, it allows you to open up and be your most authentic self. Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're, We're your, your hosts, hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. All right, ladies. So our quote of the day comes from Renee Brown. The energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. That's about connection. That's Brene Brown's definition of connection. And I think it lends well into our topic for today, social anxiety. We check our stats, right? And one of the things that we have noticed is that our one of our most popular episodes is the episode on how to thrive in the world as an introvert. Oftentimes, people confuse being an introvert with being shy and having social anxiety. So today, I want us to kind of talk about like, one, like we'll talk about what's that difference between being an introvert and having social anxiety disorder versus also being shy. And then we'll kind of talk about like, what are some of the tips that can help someone manage? And of course, you know, we got some good stories, right? Mm -hmm. Are you ready to dive in, T? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So as we're talking about it, like I'm looking at your facial expression and we're, <laughs> as we're talking about social anxiety, mm -hmm. what comes up for you when you hear the word social anxiety? I am not going to lie. I feel very anxious right now. And I've, I'm actually, I don't know. It's weird. I feel like a little emotional. I feel a little anxious. And I'm reading over um, this little article about social anxiety. And it takes me back to a place where I was very socially anxious. It still happens today, like from time to time. But I remember a time when, I mean, Dom, it was bad. And I, I was never diagnosed. I just thought I was like paranoid or I thought it was just me like having low self-esteem based on what I had been through. But Girl, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, this is my damn life right here. So I see social anxiety is the fear of being judged and evaluated negatively by other people, leading to feelings of inadequacy, inferiority, self-consciousness, embarrassment, humiliation, and depression. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I think about when I was in college. And if you haven't listened to any of our other episodes, I feel like I say this a billion and one times, but I realize that everyone doesn't listen to every single episode. So 
I can totally see how my childhood created the perfect environment for me to be a socially anxious person. All right. So tell me more about that. Like, what was your childhood like that created this fear of being judged or running away from like embarrassment? Yes. I just, I grew up in a very critical household, a very toxic household that was also very violent. And so for me, I found that I often had to walk on eggshells. I had to behave a certain way, be a certain way so that I wouldn't be judged, so I wouldn't get hit, so I wouldn't be criticized. And so I learned to act in a certain way to keep myself safe at home. But then that also made me show up in the world a certain way because of the things that happened at home. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect yeah. sense. So you were, we all are built for survival. Mm-hmm. No matter how it shows up, we are built for survival. And some, and the thing is, is that as we get older, we learn about healthier ways to cope and we can reflect back like you're doing now mm-hmm. on times when we did things for survival that laid the foundation for who we are now that don't serve us well today. Yeah, that makes sense. But they helped protect us back then. Exactly. Which I think is when we get to a place in our journey where we can realize that, I think, and we talked about this before, I think it's important for us to honor ourselves and like, thank your younger self for saving you, for, you know, being quiet, for being timid, for doing what you had to do to survive and then letting yourself know, like, you don't have to do that anymore. What are we going to do now? But one thing I would love to do, Don, if you've experienced this as well, I'd love to walk through like what those thoughts were, what were those feelings in the moment? Because when I look at them now, they seem so irrational. They seem so silly. And I also thought I was the only person struggling with this. I thought I was fucking crazy. I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, this doesn't seem normal. And so what I remember very vividly walking across campus and on the college campus. And I remember walking around and I would see a a group of people and I'd be thinking, oh my God, they're looking at me. They're talking about me. I would also walk and I would wonder to myself, like, this is going to sound, I feel like I'm just putting myself way out there. If you, if this resonates with you, please let me know. Cause I feel like I don't want to just, I don't want to just put my whole stuff on the table. Okay. Right. Girl, I would sit where I would, I would walk and I would be like, I would literally, I don't know if Google was popping the way that it is today. I don't know if I would have Googled this then, but if Google was popping, I would have Googled, like, what do people think about when they walk? Like, I literally just didn't know, like, what do I even, what do I think about? Because my thoughts were so negative that I'm like, wow, that's not working. So like, what do, what do you think about when you, when you're walking into a room where I have on heels one day and I'm dressing up for class? Like, I don't even know. So, all right. So when you were walking across campus, Mm -hmm. And you saw a group of people and the thoughts that were running through your head were, oh my gosh, they're looking at me. I would then think about the feel, the bad feelings I had about myself. Like, oh, I feel so, I feel so dumb. I feel so stupid. I feel so ugly. They can probably see it too. I mean, I would just go down the rabbit hole of all these different thoughts that I was having and I'd be really nervous and just, I would walk different. Or if I was like at lunch and it was a lot of people, especially people with bigger personalities, I would be like, I would eat a certain way or I'd just be like very, very self-conscious, like, oh, my gosh. So here's the thing. So when you were walking across campus and you'd see that group, would you still walk past that group, even though the negative thoughts were going on? Or would you intentionally 
avoid or divert yourself so that you wouldn't have to walk past them and face their potential scrutiny? Oh, there have been both. So there have been situations where I've definitely like, oh, let me avoid this situation. Let me go the other way. Or I kind of just couldn't. And I was like, all right, let me just walk past. I did put on music or one of my thing, one of my like, uh, I guess crutches back then was like to talk to my best friend on the phone or call somebody. You know, how you walk past a group of guys sometimes and you're like, oh shit, let me get on the phone or let pretend I'm on the pretend, phone. Right. Exactly. Right. Cause like you don't want them to say anything to you or you just feel self-conscious or whatever. That is, I really remember that. And then also being in class, the same thing came up. It's time to speak. I would be like, Oh my gosh, my heart is beating out of my chest. I'm feeling like I'm shaking. My voice, I felt like a frog in my throat. I can't speak. I mean, it was bad. And I even just thinking about it kind of brings some of that back. Like, whew, it was intense. And so I think what I want, because I, what I want to do is differentiate mm. people who have those experiences mm-hmm. because we all do, right? Yes. And someone who truly has social anxiety disorder. Yeah. And so the thing is, is that as you were talking and you were talking, you were saying, you know, like, I have to get up and I had to give a presentation in front of class and like, I would feel sick or I would feel like I would feel anxious mm-hmm. and not wanting to do it. Most of us will feel that, mm-hmm. right? Most of us will experience that at least once in life of having to have that feeling of dread, of fear, of having to get up in front of a crowd, whether it's in class, mm-hmm. whether it's a conference, whatever it is, in church, whatever the scenario, feeling nervous about getting up in front of a crowd, mm-hmm. right? The person who truly has social anxiety disorder, it will be debilitating. Mm-hmm. So it will be to the point where either they'll get up and they do it and you hear their voice shaking the entire time, right? Or You see them dripping in sweat the entire time. Or they may intentionally avoid having to do it. So they will find sometimes maybe dramatic ways Mm -hmm. to get out of it. An easy way to think about it is, or an easy example to think about, on a college campus like you were talking about, you have a presentation in class. Someone with social anxiety disorder may intentionally skip class that day so that they don't have to do the assignment. And they would rather get an F on that assignment than risk the embarrassment, the potential embarrassment of having to get up in front of their peers. And this happens on multiple occasions. So it sounds like the distinction between actually having social anxiety disorder is the debilitating aspect and the way it impacts life. But people can still experience some of those symptoms and maybe maybe struggle with it not as on that same level. level. So not to the point where it's debilitating. So I can think about for myself that Mm -hmm. there have been moments where and honestly Anytime I have to give a presentation, no matter how many times I've prepped for it, Mm -hmm. no matter how many times I have given that same topic, right before presentation, I get the, well, we, you know, the, the, in layman's terms, like butterflies in my stomach and and maybe I can't eat. And then 
I have to like give myself like a pep talk and engage in some deep breathing so that I can get up there and get through the presentation. Mm -hmm. Do you ever or have you ever experienced it within like social groups? So whether it's like a certain group of people or in certain settings, because I notice even today, like I've like pushed through a lot of things that have been uncomfortable. And so I think a lot of this that I experienced in school, I've learned to like find coping mechanisms and learn to like build that muscle. But there are still times today where I'll be like networking events. I'm like, girl, that's just, that's not my, it's not my, I can, I can, here's the thing. I can go in and I can be a badass networker and do all that, but it takes so much mental preparation in advance. I'm talking like visualization, meditation. I come in, we talked about this in in one of our last episodes, right? Mm -hmm. About networking. Was it the introvert episode? I think it was. I think so. Mm -hmm. Cause we didn't do one on networking. Um, so yeah, on that episode where you come in with your conversation starters, I mean, the amount of mental prep that take, it takes a lot for me to be able to do that. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't choose to just go into a networking event, you know, on a whim. That's just not my thing. I used to avoid those Mm -hmm. because I was afraid. Like I had that fear of what if I'm going to be rejected in this space? Mm -hmm. What if I'm not good enough? So like I I would also kind of deal with that imposter syndrome. And so networking was not my thing. Like you said, like I've had to work at it. I've had to build that muscle to get better at it. And so for me, sometimes I may flippantly say, yeah, I have social anxiety disorder. I don't. Like, I experience social anxiety in certain situations, but I don't have the disorder because it's not debilitating. It's not keeping me from going to work. It's not keeping me from engaging with other people. Gotcha. So about the latest stats that I saw said about 7% of Americans experience social anxiety disorder, like literally to the point that it's diagnosable. Mm -hmm. A larger, much larger percentage of us experience those the symptoms to some degree Mm -hmm. and we usually get through it. It's interesting because I think about social anxiety. I would agree with you. Like I have instances where I experience it, but definitely don't have the disorder. Um, And I think about why, like you said something about fear of being rejected. Mm -hmm. I think I definitely resonate with that. But also I have come to accept this now, but like I am very, we all have idiosyncrasies and I'm quirky and super awkward at times and just like random. And I, I wasn't very comfortable with that growing up. So I felt like I had to hide that part of myself. But I think the more I got more comfortable with me and I'm just like, yo, I fuck with me regardless of if you, like whether you do or don't, like I fuck with me because I look in the mirror today and I'm like, yo, this is what it is. This is, yo, this is what I love. All the weirdness, all the quirkiness, all that. And so I feel like if we can get to a place, and this is for folks that were in in cases where it's not diagnosable, right? Where we Mm -hmm. can potentially do something um, beneficial to help us out in that area. I think just being comfortable with you, I think that can really help. Because I think a lot of, a lot of when I experience social anxiety and when I do, I think a lot of it stems back to the discomfort with self and whether I'm going to be rejected by this group or whatever. And now I embrace self-deprecation. I'm the one that's usually talking about myself, like, 
oh my God, I'm so damn silly or whatever it might be. Right. And so it, it allows me to, I think shifting the perspective allows me to use that as a tool in my in my toolbox now. Yeah, so you own it, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. You control your narrative mm-hmm. and that makes it a lot easier. But I also think that it goes back to our quote of the day from Brene Brown about connection, mm-hmm. right? That when we are in spaces where we feel connected, So where we feel we know that we are being seen, that we are being heard, that creates safety. And when you feel safe, it allows you to open up and be your most authentic self. So all those little quirks and idiosyncrasies, like those things are feel free to come out Mm -hmm. and that those symptoms of social anxiety will tend to dissipate. Yeah. And I think about, too, you know, positive affirmations, meditation, all those things that you listed are helpful. But when it comes to, like, social anxiety, one, if you have a social anxiety disorder, I would say that's when you seek the help. You definitely seek the help of a trained mental health provider. And that way you can work through with with therapy. Uh, Oftentimes there's group therapy because when you, if, if it's about social anxiety, it's about your interactions with others. Mm -hmm. Group therapy is the perfect place for that to help get over that because what it does is you develop social skills. So there are multiple places that offer group therapy for so, like specifically social skills training. Wow. And it's like a safe space to practice those things, those interactions, those small conversations with other people. And you can get the feedback in the moment and it allows you to kind of mess up, mm-hmm. pause, rewind, start over. And you're practicing so that you can take it out into the real world. But it's a safe space to kind of practice and fail at it if you want and get up and try again. Mm-hmm. And you have other people supporting you because they are going through the same thing. That is so cool that there's a safe space like that. And I'd love to know how someone can get diagnosed. I see some symptoms here. So I just want to mm-hmm. see if they resonate with you. I, it's funny, even reading this for myself, I'm just like, oh my gosh, my heart is like pounding because I remember and I know what it feels like to be so anxious in this situation. But it says um, some of the symptoms include the emotional distress that comes with the following situations. So being introduced to other people, being teased or criticized, being the center of attention, being watched while doing something, oh, meeting people in authority or important people, uh, most social interactions, especially with strangers, going around the room or table in a circle and have to say something and then interpersonal relationships. So whether friendships or romantic, those are a few examples. And I'd love to know if someone's listening and they're like, well, Shoot, that sounds like me. You know, we can all diagnose ourselves with Google these days because I I thought I had a plenty of different disorders from Googling going to WebMD girl. What um how would <laughs> you know, stay away from yeah, those. Just stay away stay from stay away. Don't look, just go see a professional because girl. Stay away. But I think the key is that it goes back to is it causing significant distress mm-hmm. in your day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. And is it Keeping you from being able to do your job, to interact with people, like how debilitating is it really, right? 
like I said, I I can think of, I would say almost anybody in my life can think of at least five times in their life when they were terrified of having to speak in front of a crowd or give a presentation in class or, or group to be introduced to an authority figure. So, or, and when we say authority figure, it doesn't necessarily even have to be someone in power. It could be someone that they admired, mm. right? All of us can think of like five times that it's happened to us. But lady, if you're listening and you're the person who will go out of your way to avoid those situations. So let's say, I don't know, I I love Michelle Obama, right? So let's say that I have social anxiety disorder and Terry, you got the hookup on backstage passes Mm -hmm. to Auntie Shell's book tour. And right, right. (laughs) And you like, Dom, like I know like Michelle is your girl. Mm -hmm. Like you've been dying to meet her. Yes. If I have social anxiety disorder, there's a high likelihood that either I'm going to flake out at the last moment. Like I may be all excited, like when you first introduced the topic to Mm me, but the day of, I'm probably going to flake out. I'm going to find some reason to be ill or say that I'm ill so that I can back out of the situation or I'm going to show up, but the entire time. On the inside, I'm panicking. I'm probably feeling nauseous. I may even throw up a couple of times. I probably won't be able to eat. And if I do eat, it may cause upset stomach. So not just vomiting, but diarrhea. Mm. And it may be to the point where I can't even meet Michelle because I am so just, I'm just not myself. Maybe I'm sweating too much. Like there are so many different things that may come up to prevent me from being able to do it. That's how I know that it would be a problem for me as opposed to, oh girl, I'm so excited about meeting Michelle. I'm a little nervous. My stomach might be a little bit fluttering, but I'm here and I'm ready. Right. I'm showing I'm showing up. I'm present. And then. Not just in this moment with the opportunity to meet Michelle, but let's say that two weeks from now, you're like, all right, girl, we got a presentation to do. And again, I find a reason to back out like I've all of a sudden. I'm normally the picture of health, but the day before that presentation, Mm -hmm. I call out sick and I've got the flu and I'm not available for three days. That's when we know it's at a point where we need to seek the help of a professional. Yeah. That makes sense. That's super helpful, too, especially I can only imagine when we are struggling with something and oftentimes you may think that you are the only one. And so we want to just encourage you, lady, if that is you struggling with this, whether it's something that is 
a disorder or it's instances of social anxiety. And we love to offer some tips. Huffington Post has an article called 13 Useful Expert-Backed Tips for Dealing with Social Anxiety. So we'll just go through a few. You can always Google this as well if you want to find more information. And we'll add it in the show notes. The first tip here says go into a social setting armed with a strategy. And that kind of leads back to what we talked about earlier and in one of our previous episodes where it's like go and prepared. If you, like if you have to meditate, if you have to bring in your conversation starters, maybe your goal is to only chat with three people at the event. You don't got to see everybody in their mama. Just go in and see a few people. Number two is give yourself a calming mantra and don't be afraid to use it. That goes back to what you were saying about like meditation, right? So the easiest way to do that is to have your calming mantra and you repeat that you meditate on that mantra mm. and let it sink, truly sink in. That's a good one. I like this one. And I think that one other important thing to note is that sometimes, and I've been there when we are so, when we are so accustomed to Oh, letting that internal critic have its way. When we have a mantra, we focus on the negative. So it's like, I'm not nervous. It's like, no, our mantra, we want to highlight the positive. We want to focus on the aspirational. So maybe it's going to be, I am calm, cool, and collected. Something as simple as that, right? And you're like repeating it over and over as you walk. I'm like, I'm calm, cool, collected. I know for me, I often, I'm like, I got this. Even when I feel like I don't, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm struggling. I'm like, I got this. Right. Oh, shit, right. do I really got it? Yes, I got this. You know, yes. you just keep on saying that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, child. <laughs> what's, the, what's the next one? <laughs> Number three is always have an escape route. Okay. And so with that one, I have mixed feelings about mm-hmm. Because having an escape route, on one hand, it's almost like a crutch. Mm-hmm. So it makes it easy for you to, like, for the point of it is an easy way for you to escape if things get too difficult, right? But what that can do is that can turn into, I'm going to always use that escape route. I'm not going to allow myself to sit through this distress and really work through the strategies that I've been given to really cope. And so on one hand, I get it. Like that escape route may be needed, but that should not be the thing that you are solely relying on. It should be part of plan Z. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you go through, there. you go through your other coping strategies first And then if nothing else works, we use our escape plan. I think that's a good point. And I'm with you. I'm like torn because part of me is like, I realize that a lot of growth occurs when you sit with the discomfort, you know, when we pacify things and we numb, oftentimes we don't have a chance to actually heal or grow or learn because we're like, oh shit, I'm out of here. But at the same time, I'm like, there have definitely been situations where it's like, Oh my gosh, I just really need to get out of here. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I'm going to like pan, I have a panic attack. So like you want to have that escape. So I, I guess it's like choose it. I don't know. Choose, have an escape route sparingly. Like don't let that be your, your go to yes. every single time, but like know that, you know what? You got to give yourself a break. It's not like to take it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now the next one says burn off adrenaline in advance. That's a good one, I think. Cause sometimes when you have all of that energy, 
it just shows up in the ways that you were talking about earlier, where you got the butterflies in your stomach, you're yep. shaking a little bit. So if you're able to get that out in advance, you're like, okay, I'm going to have a little workout, go for a little run before this big thing that I have coming up. That could be helpful. Yeah, it totally could. What about number five? Become an all-star listener. Hmm. <laughs> yes. And I had to pause and really listen and reflect. And so, yes, that can help because what it does is it allows you to take in and process and hear other people's experiences. And when you hear other people's experiences, that builds up your muscle, that builds up your capacity to give yourself a break. Because hearing other people's experiences, you learn that, hey, other people have struggles too. That I'm not the only one. And that means that if they have had their experiences, they hopefully are less likely to judge you or hold hold negativity towards you because you all have similar experiences. Boom. And you get to make a connection. Back to our quote. Yes. Boom. Boom. I'm just going to skip around. The next one says, breathe through any anxiety that may pop up. Breathing has been a gift a beautiful gift for me because I tell you, sometimes I just got to take a and let it out. My my clients, <laughs> like the students that I work with, yeah. will definitely say, <laughs> uh, I, you, I say breathe. I, I say it all the time. Yes. Like you, someone is sitting there and they appear to be in distress, breathe. Mm-hmm. There you go. The next one says, challenge your distorted thinking. And this kind of reminds me of what I was sharing with you earlier. Where I'm like, right. everyone's focused on me and this thing and this this thing that I don't like about myself. And it's just like. And an easy way to do that is to be in that. So in that moment, when you're walking past that group of people and you're like, everyone's looking at me. You pause, you stop, you pause, you look and you you check yourself and you say, Hold on. Let me actually look. Are they paying attention to me? Mm -hmm. Chances are they're not. So then you can you can reset that thinking and you can say. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get through this. Nobody's worried about me. I'm not going to worry about them. That's excellent. And from this article, the clinical director also adds, when these thoughts come up, ask yourself some of these questions. So the first one is like, is this 100% true all the time? Usually it is It's ain't. not. Right. It's like, come on, boo. Come on, boo. The second one is, what's the worst that could happen if this is true? So I know for like public speaking, you go up there and you're like, oh my gosh, what if I pass out? People are probably going to help you. I mean- that's one of my favorite questions to yeah. ask people to when I'm helping them, when I'm helping them make decision, make decisions mm -hmm. is, yes, ask yourself, what is the worst that can happen? And if you can visualize what the worst thing is that can happen and you can figure out what the solution would be, then you don't have anything to worry about. Mm -hmm. That's true. And then she goes on to say, how likely is this to happen? Right. And then how bad would it really be? Could I handle it? And 
what is more likely to happen? Like, what's realistic? Right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. Let's do one more, Dom. I know you got some good tips that we can share as well. Now, I want to go with the last one in this post because it's something we don't do enough of. And number 13, we just skipped around a bit there, but number 13 is applaud your efforts. We don't celebrate ourselves enough. So treat yourself as you would treat your best friend or a family member. These are serious. These are serious things that we're struggling with. So whether you're dealing with a social anxiety disorder or you're having instances where you are socially anxious, Give yourself a break. You are a human being out here just doing the best you can with what was handed to you. Oftentimes, a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with, it's not even because of us. It's because of some shit that happened to us in childhood that we're still coping with. And so I think it's so important for us to be gentle. Be gentle with yourself. Yes. Please, yes. Please. Yes. And and so what I wanted to do was give us three quick takeaways from this, right? So three quick tips. if. You listen to all of this and you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Right. The first tip, set a smart goal. Right. So just a reminder, our smart goal is small, measurable, achievable, realistic, time based goals. So what that looks like when we're dealing with social anxiety, think about what you're think about the event. Think about the situation that you're trying to conquer. Let's say, and we're going to go, we're going to continue to use your example mm -hmm. of you're walking across campus and yes. you see that group of people. Your small goal, right? If you can walk all the way to the other side of the crowd and during that walk, you do not hold in your breath. We're not even touching on any of your thinking yet. Mm -hmm. So it's a small goal. Okay. Can I have my phone out? Can I? <laughs> That'll yes. Be cool. Okay, yes. cool. We start small. Smart. Start small. Right? Okay, cool. So cool. the first time you walk across, all the, you can get to all the way to the other side mm -hmm. of the group without holding your breath. Right? Because remember, we got to breathe. Yes. And then the next time you do it, maybe it's I'm going to walk to pass that group. And I won't have my phone out. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to walk past five times without that happening. And so you just set those small goals for yourself and you'll see that it'll get easier and easier in time. The next tip, get an accountability partner. So you're, you know that walking across the quad is your issue. Like, is that's your goal. That's the thing you're working on. Pull in one of your homegirls and say, hey, like when I'm trying to walk across campus, it feels like I can't do it. And I get all these negative thoughts and then I feel the urge to pull out my phone. I want you to be aware of what's happening and I want you to like cheer me on. And I'm going to check in with you every time I walk past a group across campus to let you know how I did. And that person is going to hold you accountable. So you make them aware of your goals and they'll ask, hey, girl, did you walk past them five times without taking out your phone? And you check in with them because oftentimes what we know, especially like if I think about like with personal training and like physical fitness, oftentimes they tell you you're trying to exercise, like get an accountability partner, get someone that's going with you. Mm -hmm. And then you're more likely to do it, engage in the behavior. 
And then the last tip is the thing similar to what you had mentioned before, not just celebrate yourself, but reward yourself. So if you've set that goal and your goal was to initially walk past without holding your breath, you got past that. Then the next goal was to have five times when you walk past without pulling out your phone. If once you achieve that goal, reward yourself and make it something tangible, something meaningful. It doesn't have to be anything big. Like you don't have to go on a shopping spree type of situation. <laughs> Dom told me to go on a shopping spree. Now I'm broke. No. <laughs> right. Mom, I maxed out my car. Exactly. No, it doesn't have to be anything that big. Something small like I'm going to watch an episode of my favorite show tonight. Or I'm going to, yes, some cookies, (laughs) like nothing but cake or something, you know, find a little small tangible reward to honor the goal that you just accomplished. That's a good idea. I like that. This is, this feels really good. These feel like solid tips. And I just want to send some positive vibes and some light and love to you lady as you are living your life and going through whatever you're going through right now. To send you good vibes. You got this. You can do it. Honestly, this is all about us building our muscles the same way we do in the gym, right? We have to build these muscles in order for them to, um, in order for us to use them in the in real life, right? Whatever these skills are, once we continue to build them, we'll get better. It'll be second nature. We'll build that muscle memory and then we'll be on to the next thing. What are we going to work on now? What are we going to grow? How are we going to grow now, right? And just like we do with the, they teach us at the gym, breathe. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today in Her Space. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast, or check out our website at HerSpacePodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I know that everything is working out for my good, even when things don't go as planned. We'll see you next week, lady.